Hello and welcome to another episode of Confessions of a Wee Timorous Bushy. This is your host, Minion, also known as Rob. So in the previous uh, instalment of this introduction to RuneQuest character creation that I've been kind of playing with over the past few weeks, I think I got to... We'd completed family history and we had done... Given an overview, I think I gave an overview of um, the first page of character creation or the character sheet, which would have been hit points and rune affinities, um, characteristics. I think we did characteristics and some other things such as uh, the modifiers for skills. That's right. So we must have done characteristics. Um, and then I said I would look at um, skills after that. Now, Okay, well, let's see. Uh, there's one thing I may have missed out. So probably at this point it's worth uh, worth repeating that uh, when you go through character generation, you want to go very through it very methodically. Um, I'll just turn back and uh, explain what I'm what I what I mean by that. So the character generation starts off with the history, as I've already explained, and it's. In steps, it's broken into steps, um, starting on page 24 of the main rule book. So you have step one, homeland. You know, you've got step two, family history, various things that happen there, including occupations and all the various years. Um, and in my case, we ended this uh, slightly earlier because the characters in the six seasons and Sartar uh, campaign that I'm running actually start in the year 1619 rather than 1625 or 6, which is the usual uh, starting year. Um, this is because Six Years in Sartar is really focusing in on the um, the lunar occupation of Sartar rather than what happened after the occupation. Now, So in other words, we're doing our own uh, history that's more in line, I guess, with the uh, classic RuneQuest of RuneQuest 2. And, of course, things might not work out exactly as they do uh, in the um, the standard Glorantha uh, history, because, you know, it's our, it's our history, it's our Sartar, it's our Glorantha. Uh, anyway, um, when you go through these things, you'll see there's lots of tables, and sometimes the, the tables and how they, what you're supposed to do with them isn't, obvious unless you're actually going through the histories very carefully. So what I mean by this is that, mm, let's take a year, 1623. Um, when we're looking at that, you roll a d20 and various different things can come up. Um, uh, you might have to roll on a further table to uh, see what happens at a certain battle. And there's also such things as boons. Um, and suddenly realise, oh, that's what that table is for. Sorry, where was I? So yeah, the uh, special boon table. You only have to roll on that if it says, um, you know, something happened to your parents or to yourself. And then it says roll on this special table. And then you roll on that table and something will come up. Maybe a, a magic item or something like that. It's not obvious uh, unless you go through that, what the table is for. So that's one one thing against it. I... Uh, perhaps if the table was closer to the history table and numbered in such a way um, so that it was clear that it fell under the same uh, same 
year, but then I guess the, the boons can happen on several different dates from different uh, years, so maybe that's why they've done it that way. Uh, similarly, the random death table, the ominously titled random death table, is for when um, you know a parent or grandparent has died, and you there's no particular cause of death, so you just randomly roll on that. Now, many of these uh, rolls actually can be chosen um, so you can choose how many siblings you roll. That's something I didn't do previously. Uh, you roll a d6 minus 1 to see how many siblings that you have. And then you also roll for their survivability and also whether they are uh, married or unmarried and so on. Um, this all sounds like a huge amount of work. And I'll maybe discuss that a little bit later. But uh, these can be chosen or rolled. One thing I would not um, roll, uh, sorry, I would not choose, um, or I'd ask the players not to uh, choose, is is the the actual kind of history rolls because some of them um, provide, uh, I guess, large benefits. You know, um, benefits to your reputation, your honor, you know, various loyalties or passions of some kind or other. Um, and in, in the case of boons, maybe some kind of item. So, yeah, I, I would um, very much make sure that things were random in those cases. Um, another table that will come up to, uh, I think I may have talked about it already, is occupations. So your grandparents and parent have an occupation. You could rule that the grandparent, the parent's occupation is the same as the grandparent and therefore the, uh, the child is the same as those, um, you know, the grandparent and parent. Alternatively, they can be different. You can roll it or you can choose it, etc., etc. So, you know, there's some uh, flexibility there. Um, and once you have done that and you've done all these various other things that I've already described in uh, previous episodes, um, you get to the point where you can start doing the uh, skills and sort of finalizing the number, all those numbers, bring everything together on the character sheet and actually getting ready to play. And I'm going to talk a little bit more about that in a few moments. But just to um, reiterate, I, I just wanted to point out there were a couple of things that I did miss out. Oh, uh, that reminds me, one of the things that I think I did miss out uh, and forgot to mention was the fact that after you do the rune affinities and you assign 75 there, 25 here, um, you know, a, a 60 here, a 30 there, etc., etc., there's also the opportunity of there. Uh, again, assigning 50 points to any of the runes that you have. Um, and once more, you know, personalizing that. Because um, because really, when it comes down to it, the runes are what defines your character in the world. Their relationship to the world, to uh, not only the middle world, which is the, you know, the, the mundane world, but the, the world of the gods, the spirit world and their personality and various other factors and it's what's going to shape how they to a great extent but not uh, exclusively how they will develop from that point onwards um, as a hero as a as a magician whatever okay so i'll just uh, stop a moment and get my thoughts together before proceeding to skills now as i probably briefly mentioned already your skills um are generated, as it were, are calculated based on three different factors, I guess. Um, a few, let's say a few different factors, because it can depend on whether you're playing adolescence or um, the suggested character types for Glorantha or even um, more experienced characters. But um, just to start off with, you have these 
based skill values, and these will be based on your on the species. So in this case, everybody's going to be human. There are other races in Golrantha, some of them quite wondrous, uh, and they also have their own base skill values. But because um, all of these species and, in fact, uh, the human, different human tribes are really quite um, rich, and because Glorantha, the main rule set, really focuses only on the different human cust- uh, cultures, we're going to look at that. And indeed, the characters in the campaign that I intend to run um, will also be all human to start off with. And then perhaps later, we'll bring in some other possibilities. So um, the um, the main nation, this is where your nation, your homeland, sorry, not nation, your homeland uh, cultural skills come in. So you have this base value for various skills um, based on the difficulty of that skill, whether it requires prior knowledge, whether it's something that everybody would have some knowledge of as a human being, etc., etc. Then you modify that uh, by your homeland cultural bonuses. So um, these are, uh, for example, I'll read you Sartar just to give you a flavour. So Sartar, cultural skills, start as ride any, so you have to actually pick a type when it says any here, plus 5%, dance, plus 5%, sing, plus 10%, speak own language, hjortling, 50%, speak other language, trade talk, plus 10%, customs, hjortling, 25%, farm, plus 25%, plus 20%, rather, herd, plus 10%, and spirit combat plus 15%. And then the cultural weapons of those people in Sartar are dagger plus 10%, battle axe plus 10%, one-handed spear plus 10%, broadsword plus 15%, composite bow plus 10%, or sling plus 10%, so there's a choice there, there's an option, javelin plus 10%, medium shield plus 15%, and large shield plus 10%. Now, these are these cultural skills that anybody from that culture would be expected to have uh, as they come up to the age of, you know, um, adolescence. By adolescence, they would have these bases added onto their um, their species levels. Um, so most of those are fairly static. There's a little, that one choice there between composite bow or sling, and that's about it. Um, that brings those numbers up a fair amount, though. Um, still not very high, so you're still only going to have weapon skills of in those cultural weapons of maybe twenty, um, no more than thirty, you know, depending on also depending on what your skill modifier for those weapons and other things are. Um, so I'm just going to flick through that. So the next step would be um, checking. Step five would be your occupation. As I've already mentioned, this can be different from your um, your parents and grandparents. So um, this again um, gives you a modifier. So I don't know what a good example would be, but um, let's choose let's choose the philosopher just to be different. Okay, so the philosopher. Um, I'll read the description. What is a philosopher? I mean, it seems obvious, but is it? Philosophers can be found. Philosopher, by the way, Jason, philosopher. They study philosophy. Uh, Philosophers can be found in urban centres throughout Dragon Pass, seeking to understand the cosmos through abstract reasoning. 
Many wander from city to city, supporting themselves through teaching. Philosophers learn sorcery and start having mastered the understanding of one rune and one technique. See the sorcery chapter. They also start with three sorcery spells. Okay, so we see almost immediately that the philosopher here is something somewhat different from what you might have expected. They have sorcery. And in fact, they are the only occupation, starting occupation, that gets any sorcery um, in this set. In the, And we're really dealing with um, peoples from the Dragon Pass region. You know, perhaps if it was a, a different uh, campaign setting, that might be different. So um, what do we have here to unpack? Well, there's some things about the runes. This is actually, again, it's related to sorcery. The source, ways that sorcerers use runes are different from how we otherwise use runes for um, for the divine magic, if you, if you like, you know, for the various cults. Um, the, um, the homelands are suggested, so it's got some suggested homelands, Esrolia, Sartar, Lunatarsh. Um, the occupational skills, read, write, any, you have to define, you know, um, you have to say which one, plus 50%, sorcery spell, plus 10%, or so one, or sorcery spell, orate, plus 25%, lore, any, a choice, plus 30%, sorcery spell, plus 20%, library use, plus 10%, sorcery spell, plus 10%, lore, any, plus 10%, meditate, very useful for, for uh, magic, plus 20%. Standard of living, free. Base income, 60 lunars. That's, um, we won't go into the details of that. Cults, uh, suggested cults are Lankor Mai, the Seven Mothers, a lunar, that's a lunar deity. Uh, Aeolonia, I can't, there you go, I can't say this. Aeolianism, Aeolianism, see page 389. Invisible God. Favoured passions, love, wisdom. 150 lunars. Uh, ransom. So there you go, the ransom has suddenly come in. So they get captured, you've got to pay 150 to get them back as a base kind of uh, guideline. And they start off with the equipment of writing implements, materials with wooden carrying case, blank parchments worth 50 lunars, one or two philosophical works, a bronze dagger, walking staff, small portable platform, mm, they like a soap box, um, robes, 50 lunars in coin. Um, and this is probably a good point. You can see, you know, these skills are going to be added up. There's a few choices there of the type of skill that it might be. And they're added on to those, to the cultural skills, onto the species skills. Um, but yeah, what I want to say here again is the occupation. Well, what is the occupation? It, it does not limit what you do in an adventure beyond how it aids you with your, you know, starting skills or other skills. The main thing it is, is that your occupation is what you're doing when you're not adventuring. So when you're trying to make a living, you'll do a role based on this. Not not dissimilar to um, Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay. Um, and this describes your standard of living, uh, describes what you're doing when you're not, uh, when you're, you know, as, as part of your tribe, when you're not adventuring, because adventuring is only a very small fraction of the, the year. The rest of the time is usually spent doing other things like plowing fields or, or right in the case of a philosopher, maybe writing scroll, scrolls and uh, doing paperwork for the um, for the, whoever's paying that uh, base income of 60 lunars and so on and so forth. So it's a, it's a kind of baseline um, and it also gives you 
extra roles um, at the end of a season. So at the end of a season, not only do you get to um, roll for experience checks that you might have gained during adventuring to see whether those skills go up, you also get to assign, I think it's three or four skills from among those occupational skills. Um, and many of these will be ones that you might not necessarily use that often in uh, adventuring uh, all the time. And you get to tick those boxes as well and roll for those as well. So that's kind of fun, you know, it's um, a free opportunity to advance because you're um, also gaining experience in the things that you're doing, you know, the, the skills of your trade, your day job. Um, I'm not going to go too much into that process here beyond what I have just said. The next step would be cult. But in fact, step six, cult, where you choose a god, isn't actually that, isn't actually completed in the seven, uh, six seasons in Sartar. Um, it's actually completed in game. So at this point, um, I would um, look with players at the passions they have and do some planning, you know, based on their history uh, and their runes and stuff. And if necessary, you know, change some of those runes, change, swap them around a little bit and look at some of the gods that they may wish to sort of emulate uh, at some point. Um, probably not initiation because the initiation for them it initiates them into the the tribe's um, guardian spirit, if you like, their their tribal god, which is uh, the black stag. But there are um, various uh, associated gods connected to that cult, um, and they will have the opportunity to become initiates of those cults too. So um, after that, you have other information, which we've kind of done in part. Um, oh, sorry. Step seven is uh, personal skill bonuses, which is totally skipped because this is uh, for, you know, 21 year olds and uh, allows you to add various skills to around, you know, get really personalize the character. But we haven't done this because we're playing adolescents, um, inex more ex inexperienced characters, and they will have to go through their initiation and they'll have to go through those first few seasons to start fleshing out um, their skills that they want to develop through training, through experience in adventures and also through research. Um, I think that's everything. Yeah. Then, uh, yeah, so other information is things like, you know, the age and year born. And part of this is actually determined by their uh, main runes that they've they've chosen. Um, again, tying in that importance of of the cosmos and the character. Uh, some words on gender. Um, gender is much more complex in, in Glorantha. There are four sexes and six genders. And I believe that's been the case for many years. So this isn't something they've uh, suddenly sort of jumped on. You know, it's not like some kind of bandwagon. This is uh, very much um, part of well, at least the Orlanthi people that uh, that they focus on in in this part of uh, Glorantha, um, the views of sex towards sex and marriage are part of the game, and they may depend. They may differ depending on on, on tribe and other uh, other um, factors. So there's norms, and of course you can deviate from those norms. Uh, and that is, in fact, encouraged in the most recent version of the game. 
it's very exciting. I think it's very interesting, actually, really exciting. Um, it doesn't feel gimmicky, That's which I think is a good thing. There's also additional experience option if you wish to play a character who is older than 21. So great. So you've got this options for adolescents. You've got options. You've got the standard package, where which makes you a very experienced character indeed. And you can go even further and have like very experienced characters. So they've um, covered a lot of the bases here. Um, now, finally, there's a family heirloom. Each beginning character starts with a family heirloom. Now, I haven't actually rolled this for the characters, and I don't think that is really uh, relevant to to them at their age. So I'll have to consider whether they get an heirloom or whether it's something that might come down to them uh, slightly later. So that is pretty much everything. Um, the This character generation section is then followed I mean, throughout the thing, you've got examples of how it works. And that's really important. So, I, again, I can't, uh, can't understress, <laughs> I, can't, uh, I can't stress too, too much how important it is to, to just read through it a few times. Um, don't rush through it and, and follow the examples um, because the examples really tell you how to play this game, how to do everything. Um, because... You know, the wording isn't always going to be um, as clear as it might. But the examples do go a long way to clarifying any um, ambiguities within those rules. Finally, yeah, page 85, 84 onwards, you have these pre-generated characters. Each one has a, well, a two-page spread with uh, beautiful colour pictures. Uh, all the details you need, actually, to run them as a character. Uh, and uh, examples of uh, how that person's history might work out and what it might look like. So that's really all of the uh, character generation. And I'm gonna, just going to say a few more things, I think, um, about this whole process to tie it up. Now, it just occurs to me that I didn't really go into that much detail about the skills. Uh, there are a lot of them. There are a lot of them. They're, they're quite well laid out on the character sheet. Um, one of the problems I do have with uh, games like this, whether it's... Or I'm a fancy role play, or a Call of Cthulhu request, um, or say 3.5, you know, Pathfinder is all these skills, you know. Um, certainly, there's a lot more in RuneQuest than there are in Pathfinder or Dungeons and Dragons 3.5, um, and that's something I normally would avoid, like the plague. Um, in this case, um, well, it's part of the game. I think we have a certain um, approach within our game like a home group when it comes to skills that, that we don't always force roles unless it's really important and we sometimes allow um, um, successes and, and so on so I, I I will probably be playing the game in such a, a way that is that the, the skills will be used in a way that uh, really kind of brings the game alive and doesn't slow the game down yeah um, and uh, I didn't discuss all these different skills. There are some very interesting ones um, that look look uh, look odd, really. Um, so the peaceful cut, I think, is one of them, which is about essentially it's butchery, butchering animals in a in a, uh, a correct manner, um, in a way that doesn't make the animal suffer 
and as you know allows its spirit to go on into the next world or whatever and um could be used in rituals and other things there's another one i believe is called uh that's used for funeral rites i don't, I don't remember the, remember the name but it's used for funeral rites so prepare dead or something and farm farming i mentioned that and herd so herding i mean are these really skills for an adventure game for a fancy role-playing game sounds ridiculous you know people talk about RuneQuest. uh and one thing i've been hearing is that it's high magic high fantasy and yet we're farming so um why farming why are these things well because they are the they are the ways in which you get um the system to support the setting and the play style and you know i've mentioned this in previous episodes not just the rune quest but the, this the importance of system um of designing system of having skills there or certain functions within the rules that support or nudge players into playing in a certain fashion uh, and that is very apparent in the rune quest now could they have condensed all of these skills down um could they have taken like i don't know um the skills for hide and the skills for concealment or whatever it's called now and combine them yeah sure they probably could have um they could have combined probably most of the skills there and brought the skill table down to something a little bit closer to what we find in um in, in say pathfinder um the standard skills for pathfinder but they haven't and you know that's the game we're going to play at least for now um what do i think about it well um I've already told you that what I think about skills, um, but I also appreciate what the system is trying to do by nudging or promoting a certain style of play um, and trying to tie everything into the world. Um, I think that is an important, not the only way perhaps, but I think it's an important way of of bringing in players, drawing them in rather, to that game and showing how it is different and what it's trying to achieve okay well farming for example yeah i mean it could be used for lots of things within adventures but it's also used to things outside of adventure <coughs> excuse me outside of adventures um downtime is a really important thing and you may be shouting hey downtime well you know they just you know like fifth edition everybody does downtime yeah but they had it back in the day you know there's nothing new under the sun as i often say um this the downtime rules the first downtime rules i really remember but they probably precede uh this even is the pendragon rules um and i was i'm probably thinking of pendragon probably the early 90s maybe 1990 91 to 92 um and a lot of the rules uh, for um, at least partially from Pendragon. So what you're doing outside of those uh, short times in the seasons that you are free to go off on quests or you are expected to go off on quests or you're free to wander around and do something un- a little bit unusual is uh, yeah, your, your, your occupation, as I've already stated. Um, when you're doing these things, when you, you might be called f- for a farming role perhaps to to or a household uh, management role household management really yeah nobles have that so to manage your household to make sure the fields are being 
uh, managed correctly, um, that the people around your your village are living above subsistence level, right? Uh, or or to determine determine whether they they're living at that level or not. So we're also rolling for things like uh, seasons. So this whole this passage of time, this world, uh, and what's happening in the world, um, really does affect um, gameplay in a very um, significant way. And this is all part of the downtime experience. So that downtime experience is part of the game, uh, and presumably you know you could use up a whole session or half a session or whatever, how long your sessions are to determine these like little different factors and make it as complicated or as simple as need be. And that, yeah, that, I think that brings me around to a final point that I really want to highlight is that a lot of this can be bypassed. What I mean is a lot of the character creation can be bypassed and a lot of things have a shortcut. So the the rules that as I've delivered or as I've explained them to you have been kind of colored by what I'm doing with my six seasons in Sartar, but they also are um, the the full lengthy way of creating a character. There is a quicker way of creating characters. You can you chop out the uh, character history part and you let characters write their history, you know, within within expected parameters, you know, uh, of what happens in the world. Um, and they can choose from various different uh, um, things that their parents or grandparents may have uh, um, given to the player that that the player inherits from those those uh, four forefathers, foremothers, or whatever you wish to term, however you wish to term them. So there are shortcuts to doing a lot of these different things. Um, why would you use the character history? Well, because it's uh, actually a really fun mini game, um, and. It makes your players think about their characters, and before you even roll statistics, you're you're finding out who this character is and what their place is in the world. And I think that is something that uh, RuneQuest Glorantha, just like Pendragon has done, um, succeeds in doing very very well. Um, this isn't sort of like a you know a tacked on little kind of um, piece of background and some extra skills. It it is. Um, it's something that you create it creates a framework for your character and then you start to slide that character into this framework and you start to fill it out and say well they were born like this but uh, they were born the sons uh, the son or a daughter of a famous warrior but oh damn you know i've only got five strength <laughs> etc um now there's, there's something else I may have referred to before that the runes do, by the way, influence the runes that you choose. Your your uh, affinities do influence stats, and there's rules about kind of re-rolling low, really particularly low stats, uh, which I like to make it more uh, a little bit more heroic. Um, so that probably wouldn't happen that more often, um, but yeah, that's that's what the this system does, and um, it gives you already. I think the players. Um, have been really kind of grasping the kind of world that they're in and they're starting to see oh you know oh wow so 
Sartar is this place that has been occupied by these lunar forces and we live in the mountains and uh, our father, forefathers, our mothers were uh, fight, for, fighting against them and died in battle and at so-and-so, you know, at the bold, Battle of Bold Home or, or helping with the, the Starbrow Rebellion. And they're already getting an idea, a sense of place and time and their characters are 16 and they're starting to think, okay, so what does this mean to me? And they're starting to come up with ideas and they're starting to sort of tinker with their character a little bit more, where they put some of the points perhaps or uh, so on. So um, I'm going to talk a little bit later uh, about um, my first RuneQuest session, which was really more a character creation session on online. And uh, this was uh, actually been it's been split off over a number of sessions in some cases where we've haven't been a- able to do it all in one go. So, you know, uh, I'm going to talk about it in a, a little bit more in a moment because it's getting very cold out on this balcony. Okay, well, I've probably tried your patience enough, so I will try to wrap this up quite quickly. Um, with regard to the first session, it wasn't really a session. Um, we had some issues uh one of the players had already said a cup about a week before that he wouldn't be able to join us because you know he has his family obligations another player um had a a bit of an emergency with a um you know work related emergency so that he wasn't able to attend so we just had two players um and then rather than meet up in Osaka which is you know a good hours journey from here um, one way, each way, uh, I decided to just hold it online. And um, it was a really good session. We ran from about, I think we didn't start until about 7.30 and we ran until about 10. And uh, we, yeah, we got both characters done, uh, completed their, their backgrounds. And after that, on a an, an separate occasion, we had a... One of the other players who, you know, wasn't able to attend um, decided to meet up with me after my old school essentials game. And together we did the all the parts that really required his input. So all the stuff, you know, adding up the, the stats, the skills and so on based on modifiers, I added later. Um, how my, I'm doing this, by the way, is I'm using a fillable character sheet and this allows me to come back and forth. Um, print out if necessary and you know easily modify that sheet in a legible way you know if I do it by hand of course it might not be that clear for the for the players you know if I then produce this character sheet that's in my scrolling hang, handwriting so yeah that's how we've been doing it so far um, the the remaining player who still hasn't uh, completed his character has done the the family history and you know that's something I did I was kind of like splitting the history and the other part of the character generation just to save time um i think there's lots of ways you can do this i don't um i don't really suggest getting on recommend getting on um meeting up for a session together with lots of people and trying to wade through a character like four or five people's characters uh, at the same time because everybody's going to have different questions and there's going to be so much information uh, you might be able to do it, but I think it'll be so time-consuming. And doing it on paper means that you, you're you going to have to finish it off individually for each person. Or have them finish it off, rather. 
rather than you tinkering, the GM tinkering away on the bits that don't require uh, player input once all the decisions have been made. So, um, where does that leave us? Yeah, so yeah, I, I do recommend using the internet uh, in some way, maybe meeting up with players online individually or in small groups, you know, no more than like, maybe two people. Uh, maybe breaking it into two parts like I did with family history being separate from another stage and uh, you know collect this information together I, ideally you know maybe you'd have a fillable card sheet and then you would uh, share it so they can see it while you're filling it in for them uh, based on their um, their their suggestions anyway uh, you know I didn't have I, I didn't really manage to use the sharing function so I had to use their patience they you know um, ask them for patience while I describe things and explain things and um, hopefully I didn't puzzle them puzzle them too much. I, it seems that they were starting to come back with ideas as I've already mentioned um, and and they seem to be kind of like getting it, you know, they, they seem to be, it seemed to have caught their imagination, which is, you know, really uh, what I wanted, what I want from the game. So, um, yeah, you know, just one character now to remaining. So we have so far we have a from their backgrounds and the skills that they're starting off with. We have somebody from um, an assistant shaman background. We have a a philosopher, um, a philosopher background, which you know starts off with some sorcery. So we're gonna have some shamanic spirit magic, um, some sorcery right from the start. And uh, two more, um, a noble who I've decided is is the one of the children um, of the clan chief. Now it's important to remember that the chief isn't a automatic succession. Uh, it's that that uh, these things are generally voted upon by our uh, members of the the clan. But he is a noble, and so he gets lots of various benefits, not least of which is a um, really nice set of bronze plate armour. Um, and the other character, the, the final character, is a, um, is a from a warrior background, and so they'll be able to you know, inherit or get hold of some really pretty decent armour. Uh, and start with, again, start with uh, quite good combat skills, just like the noble, noble will start with. So we have this very strong mix of... Uh, of uh, knowledge and uh, some very entry-level sorcery. The shamanic side, because the spirit world is uh, is very important, it's all around you, uh, but not always that, uh, not really accessible for most people. And, you know, the more practical and um, martial noble and warrior. Um, obviously, combat is very well, not not obvious if you don't know the game, but uh, combat in this world is is very dangerous indeed, very lethal, um, and uh, reasonable combat skills would be expected of everybody, including the shaman, and that um, it will take them a little while to to develop those through training and other means, but oh, research and other means, but uh, yeah, so. Um, all in all, uh, I think that's describes the describes the characters as they're starting to flesh out. They have families. They have sisters and brothers. Some of them, and um, they are starting to see 
how they want to develop that character from here. Um, um, the campaign will probably start, as I've possibly mentioned it uh, in this podcast or in another podcast, it, it may be delayed until uh, January or February, February if things don't go along too well. Uh, it depends how often we can meet up and who is available, because I, I don't really want to kick this off until everybody's able to sort of like make the, the sessions and um, make a commitment to it. Um, until then, I think it's better just to stick with something, some of the characters and adventures that we're already running. So probably Advanced Dungeons and Dragons, some some filler adventures or things leading up to perhaps A2, the second in the uh, Slavers um, sequence. So that's enough of me. Uh, thank you so much for your patience. If you have any ideas uh, about character generation or RuneQuest, drop me a line at the various uh, like uh, means of uh, addressing me that you may find in the show notes. Um, perhaps I've made some big mistakes again, you know, point them out, tell me how you would do things or how you do things or how you interpret things. And um, yeah, so so um, I'm very uh, excited about this. I'm really happy that the players voted to... Um, the players of my home group in Osaka voted to try the game out because I think it's a, a wonderful game. Um, it's just a, a very uh, fascinating world setting. There's a lot of um, possibilities there that doesn't limit you, even though we have occupations. Don't let that um, make you think that your character is limited to those occupations and to the skills that fall under that purview. Uh, that's not the case at all. There's a, a great deal of um, of uh, opportunity to sort of really develop the character in any kind of direction as you play, depending on one ha- what happens in play. So you may start off, perhaps the, the shaman's assistant starts off uh, on the road towards becoming a shaman, but then changes direction and becomes a rogue, more roguelike character or or something else. Uh, we don't know. We won't know until we start playing. Um, and that's great not to have to worry about levels and classes and that kind of thing. There's a, a slightly different, um, well, very different <laughs> approach to fantasy role-playing. So um, quite exciting to be moving towards uh, starting a, that campaign. Anyway, thank you so much for listening to my sometimes very poor take on um, introducing RuneQuest. Um, as you know, I'm not a professional and uh, I don't aim to be <laughs> because uh, I am a professional, professional amateur enthusiast um, and that's what I like to do. So uh, until next time, take care.